So I've been asking people if they remember the first improv class they taught. Um, um, yes, I do remember the first class I taught. Mick uh, Napier invited me and Joni Lennon from The Annoyance to teach a class, a woman's class. And I was like, oh, why do we need a woman's class? And he said, because the women of The Annoyance are very empowered and other women don't seem to be and maybe need a safe space. And I'm like, I just want to teach people. But then I started teaching it, and I realized that at the time in, in Chicago, he was right. It was necessary. Um, I guess they needed a space just like a woman would go to a predominantly, you know, a woman college and, and not have to wear makeup and actually fucking learn. So I get it. Um, and that was the first class I taught with Jody. Um, awesome. I'm actually going to jump because I've actually heard you talk before about the – the separating of the genders and not loving that and whatnot. And so do you still feel like the women's only class is sort of like one of these things where maybe if we were just actually making sure everybody was treating each other with respect, et cetera, et cetera, that I'm not saying that people don't have an opportunity to learn in the best way that they want to learn. If they feel safer in an all women's class, I'm all for it. I, I want people to learn. Um, Ultimately, though, do you just want to play with all women or do you want to play with men as well? I'm not a big, you know, although I love playing with Rachel Mason all the time, we love each other stupid much. When we hate everyone else, we love each other. Um, I also am thrown into the mix playing with people I've never played with at any given time. So I, f I feel for me that it's best to kind of try to crack the code and figure it out as best you can. And if it really becomes untenable for you, bless your heart. And if you want to go, and I don't mean the Southern version, and if you want to uh, go, you know, on another route, I, I can't tell people how to do this. This is, this is their, again, this is their ride. And there have been times where I have been, um, I just don't have any patience for the conversation. Today I seem to. I mean, I wrote the most, talk about writing books, I wrote a hateful book on improv that would have had me raked through the coals by every woman on the planet. And I'm so glad that I procrastinated and said, I hate this book because it's hateful. Um, because I would have been, again, raked over the coals for my opinions, which were suck it up and tell it to your drumming circle. I was done. I was so done. But I, you know, but like everyone, I evolve and change. And um, part of it right now is, you know, do what serves you. Do what serves you. I, I'm not right. I get it. I also, I mean, I think one of the reasons why uh, I am, for me personally, one of the biggest things that made a big impact on me was when, when you actually had said in class once about putting blinders on and just going down your own path. Because at the time... Yeah, that helps. Yeah, that helps a lot. Because at the time, um, yeah, I would, there was no blinders on and stuff. But I think also that I also very much a lot of times and I hate it because people are like, oh, just because you're, you're tough and you can take things and you, it's easier for you to just pull up your big boy or big girl shorts. I'm like, yeah, I feel like everyone should be able to do that. But then like you, I'm like, but also that's never not, that's not necessarily a nice way to approach it. And who am I to tell you how to react to things? So Look, my path is my path, and, and I do understand sometimes it's unfair. You'll get a note that somebody else didn't get, and you'll be like, wait a minute, they pulled that shit. Or, or I saw Joan do that last week. I didn't do this shit. And Mick gave me one of the best notes I ever had 
which was, he, he, I thought he was going to tell me how great I'd been in rehearsal. And he told me, he started ripping me a new asshole. And I said, I didn't do that. So-and-so did that. And two weeks ago, somebody else did that. And he said, you know what, Susan, your job is not to deflect or justify or defend yourself right now. Your job is to listen. And I just kind of went, oh, this is my note. And it doesn't, and just because it doesn't even have to say that it's valid, just fucking shut up and listen for a while. And maybe, maybe if you put your blinders on, you don't get to say this is like, people are unfair, this and that. Now, don't get me wrong. The day that you take your blinders off, a lot of shit's unfair and unjustified. And in which case you have the opportunity to deal with it or not. I just kind of think to myself, that's not the worst teacher you're going to have. And that's not the worst note you're ever going to get. So what can you do for yourself to disconnect from the buttons that, shall I use the word trigger you and, and revisit what is uncomfortable or doesn't work? You know, I mean, if it was working, it'd be working. Sometimes you just simply have to trust that it, the, the note will appear in a certain way. For example, you don't like that shitty teacher. Well, then maybe one day you'll be a teacher and won't be that shitty teacher. I, I had a teacher who hit us with a rolled up newspaper in some competitive sport game that I didn't understand on a Saturday morning at 10 a.m. I'm going, what the fuck is this shit? I remember leaving that class like, like shaking, thinking one day maybe I'll be a teacher and I won't hit my students with a rolled up newspaper. I mean, I don't know. You know, I was like, what the fuck is this shit? So even a negative experience, sometimes it's hard to kind of figure out the note, in which case it, you certainly have every right to ask for clarity on that note. Because maybe they don't know what they're talking about. Like you said, there are some young teachers that that will ask me for every single exercise that I have. And I'm like, I'm a fucking improviser. I can make up something tomorrow. Maybe you shouldn't be teaching yet. Maybe you should be following people. Now, please understand that there are people who learn this shit from a book, you know, sometimes. And, and are the first people who are bringing this uh, information to their world and they're terrified they're going to be doing it wrong. But I feel like every school of thought has its pros and negatives and you're going to become the kind of improviser you want to be doing the kind of work you want to do. So explain it in a way that makes sense to you. Right. And that can be hard sometimes for the younger improviser and the younger teacher because they don't necessarily have someone they can, like you said, follow and look or go watch a show and be like, that's who I take after or sit and watch a teacher. So, um, yeah, it can be tough. Did you, with that first class with uh, Mick and whatnot, was teaching on your radar at the time? What happened was that, no, it wasn't actually. Somebody had probably said, hey, watch my show and see what you think. And I went, oh, okay. If, if you're dumb enough to ask for my opinion, I'm smart enough to give it, I guess. And then that kind of expanded into, you seem powerful, Susan. Why don't you teach this? You know what I mean? It was an invitation versus a driving force. And years later, I'm I'm still surprised when people ask me to do it. And, and I'm grateful to do it. But again, it's only my opinion. You know, I mean, granted, it's a 30-year opinion, but it's an opinion. You know, I, I and it's me, by the way, going in the trenches every fucking week and performing too. It's not me sitting on my high horse going, this is funny, this isn't. I'm, I'm interested in protecting content so that people can laugh. I'm interested in having people work together the best that they can. I love working with the frustrated improviser. I call it FIDS, frustrated improviser disease, because they just need to kind of be put back on track to get off again, and then they're having more fun than anyone else. And then it really doesn't matter shit dick what other people do to them. 
Right, right. Well, that also helped me a lot because uh, I definitely, I think, uh, was in FIDS when I worked with you last. <laughs> everybody is in FIDS by the time they get to me. Everybody is. I mean, everybody is. It's not, and, and really, you'd love to think, like, this is my problem that nobody else has. Meanwhile, you've got improvisers all over the world ripping out their hair in large tufts going, what I'm doing isn't TJ and Dave. It feels weird because a teacher gave them a rule. And so they don't want to fuck up the rules. And I'm going, I didn't start this shit to play by rules. I started this shit to play and hopefully not get kicked off stage. So for me, rules are like suggestions that might get you off faster. And so I'm giving them shit that gets me off from doing it and actually gets me off watching it. And it's really pulling out specificity and joy in the work. And then, oh, they're having fun on stage. Oh, I'm having fun watching them. But um, I'd love to make this into rocket science because we've turned improv into rocket science. But it's not. It's just not. I think people, and I hate to say this, I think people spend piles of money, and this might just ruin my career right here and there, uh, right here now, but I think people spend a lot of money trying to justify, uh, to try to make, you know, these big buildings uh you know, make their money and, and all this good stuff. And I'm not saying that this art form hasn't expanded and that there aren't amazing applications for improv that are beyond just simply performing mix-ups, uh in terms of helping Alzheimer's patients stay in the moment or, you know, and this is new ground we're treading or people with social anxiety or helping caregivers, you know, with their patients or beyond helping other people write their scripts, you know what I mean, and shit like that. So so many applications and I don't want to say that people's shit isn't valid, but I sure as hell don't want to say that their shit is right. It's just one way to get there. And, and I appreciate everyone's school of thought. I really do. I'm just saying this is, you know what, I've, I've studied your school of thought. I love your school of thought. It's not necessarily my school of thought. Mine is just simply personal. You know, it's just simply personal. And that's why I think when young teachers go, but I was given this rule, you can't play animals, you can't play opposite sex, you can't, you have to know each other for at least six months, who, what, where, all this shit. And I'm going, I understand why you did that or what the game is in a scene, but I'm really interested about getting off. So I'm not going to like worry about getting off right. <laughs> right, right. You, um, you created uh, originally IO's level two curriculum, right? I did. I was watching uh, people standing on stage talking about it, which and heightening funny simply by being funnier as themselves or saying fuck you, fuck you more. And I thought to myself, this is a visual art. Why am I just standing here? I mean, that's kind of the precursor to, now, to, to present time podcasts. I could listen to this shit on a podcast. So I said character, environment, and teamwork is what gets me off. I asked Sharon if I could teach for her. She said, you have to coach first, which I thought was weird because there was someone who started five years after me who was teaching. So I went, oh, yeah. And so for the next year and a half, I coached three teams simultaneously, barely performed, um, worked my ass off because what three teams in a row is like insane and um, came up with a curriculum that I handed to her on an eight by 11 and a half legal pad. Um, which, because at the time I thought computers were for composers, um, and, uh, that, and to, that's a fad. That's a fad. And then, uh, and then, to her credit, she agreed on it, and it's been in place ever since. 
with nips and tucks along the way, but certainly it is what I would like to see at IO, you know, at the annoyance, I create curriculum, new curriculum every single week based on what I think they need. There are times where I'll make up an exercise on the spot and I'll, and sometimes I'll tell them it's new and sometimes I won't and they just do it. And I, and it proves whatever point I'm trying to address at the day. Um, when I'm working with the MFA threes over at DePaul or the actors at school at Steppenwolf, I'm, I'm giving a different focus. University of Chicago is a different focus. Um, cause some of them are, they're, they're all super bright, but some of them are physically awkward. So I kind of have to ease them into that. Some people are just simply brave to get on stage and some people want to nip and tuck and some people need the hard note. That's it. You know, I, I, I mean, it's not infallible, you know, and, and anybody who just thinks, oh, this is the right way to do it, good for them, but it just doesn't interest me. When you're creating curriculum, um, do you, I mean, at this point, it may just be so automatic for you, but are you looking at it as the big picture and then breaking it down? Or are you looking at it like, this is what, this is what I'm trying to accomplish and then building those exercises out? Well, basically what I'm trying to do is cover a point, uh, a specific element in a piece of cheese, like you would give a dog a pill when there's thunder. So I do think that I would want to do, or that would be fun for me, and I try not to make it painful. So I create exercises with names I like. I, you know, sometimes I'll throw them in a group and have them, like last week I created a new game, it's called Game Night at the Annoyance. I just called it Game Night. And I had four people at like creating tables, you know, like and simultaneously, I'm not even, I'm not even watching them in a sense of like just four people on stage. I've got, I had 12 people in class and I had four, four and four. And I, um, had one team playing life, one team playing Dungeons and Dragons and one team playing, uh, life Dungeons and Dragons and Monopoly. And I had them change their spines. I said, by the end of the scene, you should know who everyone is and the game of that you're playing is just one game in the scene. So let's discover what the fuck is up. And by the end, they've come up with all sorts of shit on their own, you know? So that one, I didn't even, like, have them looking at, you know, just having a four-person on stage doing a four-person scene. So it was kind of interesting to watch them very active and discovering what's up with them. Another time I had some people, you know, running for local school board, and they had, they had breakout groups or some other stuff that I had them doing on their own. You know, I, I'm trying to get them to like walk and chew gum at the same time. Sometimes that's difficult for people. So I'm like, here's something that you would understand. Look, you're working on object work, relationship, spine, every character, all at the same time. The whole like coach first before you teach. Um, I personally, I don't know that that coaching and teaching are the same art. Um, so, uh, they're different. They're complementary. And frankly, you you might want to. I invite all teachers to get an objective eye and coach before they teach. I, I resented it, and then I went, "Oh, I totally see the validity in this. I absolutely do." Because a class for me is just a. a I treat them like an ensemble already. They're not just a class to me. So if I'm not pushing that agenda for performance first, and then I can go back into class and use those elements for teaching things, teaching tools. Um, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know what somebody would teach before they coach or that they're always two different gigs. They're not, they're, they're, 
They're very complementary, if not similar, like highly similar. Sometimes it might be also there's no teams to coach, right? Like you just have to go into teaching because there aren't teams yet where you are. Uh, it might be a thing. My other thing is that sometimes, I don't know, sometimes um, someone who's been improvising may just really already be an empathetic, sympathetic person. So they may be really good at giving like helping develop the individual in like a level one class who's terrified of even stepping on stage. Look, I know, I know shitty improvisers who became brilliant teachers. It's okay. I don't, I don't, I don't really give a shit how you get there. No path is right. You're like I said, your path is your path. So, so if, you, if you can't handle something, you need to see why you're being in charge of a group of people, whether it be a class or a, or a ensemble. And if you don't have the numbers, sure. Teach what you've learned, share it, and then I advise a new teacher to really go back in the fucking trenches and get as much education as they can on their own. They should be traveling then to classes outside and, you know, places where people know what the fuck they're doing, as opposed to saying, I learned this, you know, from here, and now this is our gig. I'm going, oh, okay. I mean, I don't stop learning. The day I stop learning is the day I start dying. I'm a little too young to die. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, that's why I love improv is there's no, um, there's no ceiling. Like you nope. never, you're not like, I'm a master, so now I'm done. Like I just. I'm not. Yeah, I mean either. Um, when, so when you started teaching, so, well, we'll go back and forth how you do it now. And when you started the stuff, did you have to, um, when Sharna finally let you start teaching level two, did you have to shadow someone first? And did or did no, Mick have I, you? No, okay, right. So they just and did Mick make you shadow anyone first, or did he just let you just jump into that? No, also I just taught. If somebody says I trust you to teach, granted, it depends. If you're teaching somebody else's curriculum, I train all the level two teachers because they're teaching shit I made up high in my tub. Right. So that's I guess my question. I, so since you taught that curriculum, uh, and because it's still around, how are they getting? I, how are what are you having them – are you still really involved in having them trained, I guess, is the question for that level. Am I still involved in what? And making sure that they're trained the right way since you created that curriculum that they still use. Yeah, nobody shows up Nobody shows up and says, um, says I'm teaching level two now. Not in, my, not in my shit. Okay. They all come and train with me. My exercises are probably the, the creepiest and weirdest exercises in the whole building, bar none. So if they don't know what's – and I'm pulled into my own curriculum. There are weeks that I just want to do something else, and I'm going, nope, I've got, you know, six other classes that are that have to stay on the same page this week. So, um, and and I'm not saying that I can't support teachers if there's an exercise that simply never worked with them or they never clicked with. I will help them create other exercises that support exactly what we're doing, but maybe, you know, couched in a different way if they're not comfortable teaching that. So... You know, that's part of me adjusting curriculum to support my teachers instead of saying this is absolute, teach it this way. I, I worry about anybody who um, is so didactic. Yeah. Yeah. So do they do they work with you? Like, what, how do you – what is training the tr- – Just watch class for eight weeks. They simply come to class for eight fucking weeks. They watch what I do. I always ask them if they have questions. Sometimes I'll uh, I'll say to the – the person in there, I'll say, hey, what else did you see in this exercise? And then they throw out their two cents. You know, that's it. For you, a typical class, does, do, you ha- do you have what like a typical class would look like in terms of from start to finish? 
At IO, I do. At other schools of thought, I don't. At the annoyance, changes all the time. You know, annoyance IO and Second City have different points of view. And I'm not saying, fuck you, I'm Susan Messing, do my shit. People are bringing me into that to probably support joy across the board and then demystify it and then support what each building uh, stands for. For example, IO, the group mentality, group mind, I like, and I like stage picture and, you know, and, and teamwork and character and environment. I like, uh, I like at the, at the annoyance that I can do whatever the fuck I want. I love that second city has social and political satire. So each building, you know, I'm pushing something else. And again, I can't, I started out as an actor. So when I go to Steppenwolf and, 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 uh, DePaul, I'm, I'm supporting them in, you know, using this for actors so that actors play the moment instead of the joke, because you oftentimes will go to a show and see the person who's the comic relief and you want to kill yourself watching that shit. And I'm going, it's because they're playing the joke and you can't do that. Comedy is serious in that sense. So I give actors support and how to go back for new work. Uh, if it's a new play or, you know, or somebody simply says to them now improvise so that they don't panic, that they're celebrating immediate art and they're creating great work. I mean, I, my DePaul students are amazing. Do you have um, a current teaching philosophy? I guess I just want to pull the best out of the individual so that they become someone you want to play with. I mean, I, I, I guess that's, I guess that's pretty simple. I guess people started this work to express themselves and so I support them in the most effective way to, to express themselves. You know, sometimes people end up becoming stand-ups. Sometimes they just become better architects. I really don't give a shit what they do with this work. But, you know, if they want to be an improviser, go to town. And if they want to just be more free in terms of writing scripts or communicating with their staff, bring it. Um, I mean, granted, I, I primarily deal with the comedian, you know. But I don't think in terms of a philosophy. I think sometimes that changes, too. I think over time, I really haven't changed that much. I've certainly changed in the way of creating uh, the most supportive state, the most supportive space possible for people to learn. Um, but I, and maybe I've become a little less uh, rigid in my own since my path was rough. I think I've, you know, I don't think I come from a suck it up place anymore, but that's about it. I think I evolve with the time because otherwise, otherwise you just have some bitter bitch in a back room going, do my shit assholes. And I'm really not interested in doing that. As a matter of fact, the, I, I really do have to finish my book and do the unnasty version of it so that in case I don't want to say this anymore, I don't have to say this anymore. When you say you want to provide a supportive space, how how does that how does that translate into physically into a classroom? Well, I think there is an assumption and kind of a declaration. I used to say if there's something physically that prevents you from uh, from participating fully in class, please let me know on your own time, and I will do everything to support you. Some people have very small peripheral vision. Some people have auditory ADD, which I'd never heard of before. You know, some people are in a wheelchair. Some people, you know, can't hear well. I mean, whatever I can do to support them. Now I add a caveat that says if there is something that is preventing you emotionally, 
from being able to participate in class fully, please let me know. And I will also support you on that ride, which means I'm constantly on a lookout of nipping and tucking. You know, I've had people with social anxiety in class and it's not, and, and I'm going to give them a different note probably than I'm going to give somebody who um, does not have social anxiety. How's that? Just to make sure that the women in class feel uh, supportive as well, supported as well. You know, I have to constant, constantly say in every beginning of class, you know, racism, sexism, and homophobia still ain't funny. And we have to create characters that, um, not that we have to create characters. Let me revamp that. We have to create, we have to protect content and so, that, so that people are invited to laugh. So comedy is a great social and teaching tool. There have been many times I've had to stop a class and kind of say, how do we protect this? Because this is not protected right now. Sometimes it's simply protected by the nature of the building that you get to walk in a place like the Annoyance and know it's one of the one of the few uncensored spaces uh, in the world, not just the country. But even saying that, I do my show at 10.30 at night on a Thursday night. It's a fuck-around slot. And any of my characters that are hateful are ludicrous or laughable, you know? Do you stop scenes if then they're going into, like, if you can see a student, there's been lines crossed, will you stop a scene or you let the scene finish and then have the conversation? It really depends how egregious it is um, because, for example, it is rare that somebody is deliberately horrible and offensive. That said, if I watch an improviser in a scene that looks absolutely physically or mentally, like, uncomfortable so much so that you disconnect from the scene and simply worry about the human being you have to stop it but you know I'm I don't just stop something and say that's not okay um I it's really a case-by-case basis and I mean certainly it's not not going to be addressed it will always be was it always easy for you do you think to address those kind of things because um, I feel like when we talk, especially when I talk to teachers who've been doing this a long time, they have the gravitas to stop a scene. People, you know, oh, I'm in the room with Susan Messing. She better stop a scene and, and tell me my, my, all my problems with my shit, right? Um, but as someone who's been doing this a year may not have that gravitas, and so they may feel, uh, especially the first time ever stopping a scene, that uh, came easy to you all the time? Or do you think that's something that's just developed for you? I think that is something that takes time and maturity to recognize. Some people are super hypersensitive about stuff and immediately stop a scene the minute they think that something is going to go south, when in fact sometimes improvisers can figure it out themselves. Um, And there's a difference between a hateful character and a hateful improviser. So, you know, they have to recognize that they have more power than they think and that shit doesn't have to be so diluted um, that you do not feel like it's okay to open your mouth in improv. I think a lot of people feel like they're walking through a landmine in this stuff. That they're like, I can't say and do this. I don't want to offend so-and-so. I da, da, da. And I'm going, well, we have ways to protect content so that people don't have to feel like an improviser is being attacked. Um, that said, if an improviser makes, you know, some pretty creepy choices because they think it's funny or this is their chance to cop a feel or whatever the fuck it is. Sometimes it's just, you know, youth and you have to understand this world is so different now. When If you wanted to have a one night stand with me in the 90s, you had to stand outside my like door and go Stella or page me? What, you know? Now everything is swiped right or left. Porn is a click away. You don't get it in your alley from, you know, from the church. 
You know what I mean? Like, it's like shit's happening. So I, and autism is on the rise. So I'm dealing with a lot of emotional and societal changes that um, I never thought I'd have to deal with. And, um, and it's navigating some, some sensitive areas. And I try to do it not in a way that berates a human being or makes people feel less than or feel that other people's concerns haven't been addressed. It's a constant balancing act, which is why I never can walk into a class and go, oh, yeah, I just have to walk them through their paces today because you have no idea what's going to blow up that day. That said, I have teachers who will say, I've heard of teachers who will say, you know, tell me something about your life that you've never said before. And I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Are you a trained fucking therapist? Don't. Don't go. I, I would have to say one thing to teachers. Stop treading in places you have no understanding or um, certification for. That is a real pet peeve of mine. That and for somebody telling me they want to pick my brain because I have a very small brain and don't pick it. It's gross. I think I got that from Nick, but it drives me insane. It's like, really? Did you leave side of the road as a vulture? Have you ever, because I know like at IO they do about course evaluations and stuff. Have you ever gotten an evaluation that you were like, where, what? I don't know where that came from. Oh my God. What is that about? You know what? For every student who says, uh, Susan didn't explain the exercise enough. There's going to be an equal and opposite person who's going to say Susan Messing explained it too much. I, I have saved every, once when student evaluations were on paper instead of online, I saved every single one of them. They're all in boxes, good and bad. Um, thankfully, most of the most of it has been supportive and good. But that said, it doesn't mean don't read every one and think about what is the most effective and easier way to teach. Look, my teaching isn't for everyone. Somebody's going to be like, oh, she over-explained that for hours and we barely got on stage. Or some people will be like, she went scene after scene and I didn't get it. And I, I you know what, I'm not perfect. And, I, and at this point... I appreciate the feedback. Um, ultimately, I'll do whatever the fuck I want, and hopefully it'll work for you. Well, I mean, also, I think after 30 years, um, you're still working. So it says what you've been doing is working then. Well, if somebody – but if somebody, you know, believe me, if something is super egregious, i got to address it. I, I've got to stop and address it because nobody's infallible. A teacher doesn't mean you're right. It means you have a, you know, a base of knowledge that you hope to impart in the best way possible to other people. But I'm always trying to find the most effective way to get there. And like I said, it's changed over time. With that change over time, do you, um, do you use any metrics to assess um – a student's progress. I mean, it's hard because it, okay. No, I don't, I, I don't have, I have to have letter grades at DePaul or at the university of Chicago. If they are awake and if they are alert, if they are in good spirit and if they are trying their absolute best, chances are they'll get an A from me. If they don't do the basic of assignments that I require them to do, their grade's going to go down. And I will say to them point blank, you're seriously, you're at the University of fucking Chicago and you're going to get a B in my class simply because you didn't do the work, which could not be more minimal. Like, get your ass in gear. Get your ass in gear. I have no patience for that. That said, almost everybody gets an A. But have you ever had to tell a student then at somewhere like Annoyance or Second City or I.O. that you're just not passing them through? Well, there are people I've had to flag and people that um, I have been angry that have not been red flagged for me that I'm like, wait a minute, I received this and you guys didn't even give a shout out that this is funk, hey? Are you fucking serious? Um, 
that doesn't happen that often, but when it does, it's jarring and annoying. Um, here's the weird thing in a good way. People have been coming up to me before class and during class on the side to kind of say, hey, here's my gig. I have this physical thing going on or I have this emotional thing going on so that I can adjust my shit for them as well. Because, look, your job as a teacher is to impart a note the way someone can handle it. Oftentimes people go, this is my note, suck it up, bitch. And I'm going, I don't know about that. You're a fucking teacher. Adjust your semantics so people can fucking learn. Yeah, I, I find I my notes shift from person to person because uh, I, I mean, I'm lucky yep. enough that I know every student coming through our doors and um, I usually know their baggage and why they're there. So if they're definitely not interested in performing and they're just interested in like continue, they need to for work wise, they have to be in front of people and that terrifies them. That's why they're here. Do you define difficult? Do you do you do you believe that there's a such thing as a difficult student or do you think if the student's being difficult, it's a failure of the teacher? No, there are difficult students. OK, so how do you define that? You know, you want you can pen them. Hey, you can pen them differently way different ways. You're a mother. You've heard someone say, my child is spirited. And you're like, mm, my child, your child is hateful and will kill birds and then animals and then people. Yeah. So, so I mean, how do you want to frame it? Look, my job, my job is also to teach table manners, to prevent people from um, saying, but always blaming others for their misfortune. Ultimately, you, look, you know the person who gets kicked off the team, right? You've seen right. it happen a million times. This person's a pain in the ass. This person's awful. We don't want this person on their team. Well, a common denominator is you. So let's say that person's off the team. Who's going to be the next scapegoat? So why don't we teach everybody great fucking table manners, and then we don't have to worry so much about blaming others when you don't get off. So if you have one of those students in your class... Um... Yeah. Now remember, this is a world of autism and peanut allergies. This is a world where people are more and more isolated. You have to be sort of patient with them because you don't know how they're going to take the note. You don't know if this is going to make somebody, if this is going to crush someone's soul or if this is just what they need to hear. And that's why I kind of give it a little space to sort of figure it out. And even then, I'm not a clinical therapist. I can certainly say I have compassion and I can certainly say to people, you might want to consider X. You know, it's all semantics versus you're fucked, you're creepy, and nobody wants you. I mean, that's just not right. My job is to try to get make better, better improv citizens. Is that it? That's part of my job. Being that you're in Chicago, I mean, a lot of people there are there for professional reasons in those classes. So do you feel more of an obligation then uh, to sort of whip them into shape, if you will? Because if they are going to go on to be performers and writers and main stage players and... My job as a teacher is to make them the best they can be. It's up to the, it's up to the system to determine what they, you know, whether they're going to be accepted doing it or not. If I didn't do my job and make them the best that they can be, then I simply didn't do my job. But, but, but like I said, what they do with it is their own beeswax. I'm, my job is not to get them ready for their SNL audition. Otherwise, I'd be teaching SNL audition classes. I don't do that. Um, and going back to like stopping a scene, have you ever had to ask someone to leave a class? Wow, that's a good question. Um, 
I don't think so. I think I've at least temporarily managed to diffuse a situation. But I'm not going to ever say never because somebody might be super hateful. You know, it's interesting. I just finished a class where there was, and I'm not even going to say which building, where there was one student who seemed super resistant, almost kind of petulant. And I just kept creating exercises that I knew would sort of break that down a little bit, but not, um, and it was a status thing. And by the end of class, uh, he was delighting and being a victim on stage, which was a hoot because he certainly didn't want to give up that status as himself. Every fucking scene, it was boring after a while. So it was kind of cool that simply by recommitting as a teacher, by the end, he was doing what I needed him to do. I think sometimes teachers are impatient. They think cause me to fact. And I'm going, some people stew on this shit for months. Sometimes people don't get something for a couple of years. Now, granted, I'd rather them have fun faster. That's the point. But, um, and hopefully a mark of a good teacher. But that doesn't mean somebody doesn't come up to me two years later and says, oh my God, I just had your voice in my head in a show and I finally got what you were talking about. People's, people's rate of learning is different. This is not one size fits at all. And, and I think teachers will sometimes get really frustrated and be like, oh, what do I do for this? Or I'm responsible for all of this. Or they'll be like, my student is stupid. And I'm like, mm, I think it's somewhere in the middle. If someone wants to be a coach or a teacher, what, do you, like, what kind of advice do you have for them? I would say if there is a teacher available that you really like their work, Follow them. See if you can go watch their classes or their coaching sessions. Ask questions um, and then say, why do I love this teacher so much? What is it because they're so empathetic? Is it because they give the hard note? Like, because everybody teaches the way they want to teach. You know what I mean? Like, and it's a very personal thing. And I would say maybe also follow another teacher who you respect, but wasn't your muse. I hate to say muse. That's such a creepy word. But that wasn't, you know, your favorite, but you're like, I got a lot out of them. Didn't love the style, but I like shut up and listen to the note. So maybe ultimately you'll become the mix you want to be. You know what I mean? I, I, I've seen people just completely emulate a certain teacher and I'm going, yeah, but that isn't indigenous to you. You're what, what makes you so good about your shit? You know what I mean? And that can be hard. I think sometimes for people to figure out about themselves, um, that may be part of their journey too. Hopefully as a teacher, they hide that well. I guess. <laughs> yes and no, but I've, there, there have been very few times that I've been absolutely like stymied by something, but I have had to stop once or twice, maybe, maybe, maybe even more. I doubt it. No, maybe once or twice and kind of said, you know what? Let me think about this. You have every right to say, let me think about this. There have been times where I haven't stopped a class but something has weighed on me after class. And I'm like, why is this weighing on me? And then I think about it. And then I bring it to the next time we have that class and say, hey, I just wanted to add an addendum. You know, I've been thinking about what happened there as opposed to, oh, well, I had my time during class and now I'm fucked. No, I think any times, you know, if I come up with more clarity, I'm going to share it. I think that's great. I think that's a great note to people, especially who are starting out, that you can come back and say, I need to add on to something you don't – you didn't put a period at the end of the sentence that week and never get to review it again. I think that's a, a great thing to, to have. You know, when I'm, yeah, when I'm empathetic with friends, sometimes they want solutions and sometimes they just want me to listen to them. And there are times where I will say to them, 
you know what? I'm just actively figuring this out with you as I talk. So please know that it's not the formula. It's not the formula. Ah, this is it. And so, you know, I, I think this is an open discussion for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, forever. I, I just can't imagine somebody saying, well, I am teacher, I am best, and this is my shit, and kill yourself. I just, I can't imagine this. Everyone is so different. Um, do you think there's any specific classroom management skills that have helped you all these years with the different, especially since you're in so many different schools of thought? I think you can tell, I think just like a good scene, you can feel an editing point and think when things have to constantly keep moving. Um, I think there is sort of a part of me that, that has that internal clock that kind of says this is done now or we'll have to revisit this another time. Um, I do have to keep it moving. I remember one time a class really let one rip on somebody who was being a complete dick. And, you know, I, I all of a sudden I kind of went, I was watching this shit fire and I went, oh, fuck, I'm the teacher. So I had to kind of manage it and bring it back to a focus. You know what I mean? So, so I am a time manager as much as anything. I'm also someone who has to diffuse something that could become um, really angry and heated. You know, I've seen, I've, there's a lot of weirdness going on. It's, it's a hard world. There's a lot of depression and sadness and, um, and pre-existing conditions that other people might not understand. So if I try to remain as impassive as I can in class, that helps. That helps because I know they look toward, as well they should, look toward the teacher. When you are um, giving notes and, and feedback with um, students, do you allow for them to have, like, how's that conversation? Or do you, because some teachers will get a lot of pushback from notes, but I think a lot of teachers can avoid it based on how they set it up. It's all semantics. It's all, everything is semantics at this point. Like I said, I will give people notes the way that I feel like it's easier for them to learn. That said, um, sometimes I have to shut stuff down. I'm not here for you to, again, for you to argue with me. I'm, and I'm not here to attack you. So I'm just saying this is what it looks like from the outside. Just like I would never, when I'm in a show, I don't give notes for that show. I'm in it. People have asked me all the time, oh, can you give us notes? I'm like, I was on stage with you. No. Gross gross and I'm still not beyond the note at age 53 so maybe we have to stop thinking we're so fucking precious and that um a, a comment on somebody's work is not a personal attack against your purpose as a human being so that's where I'd have to say to a student to lighten up I would also have to say to them that a note is not always a crushing experience but I would also invite the teacher not to make it a crushing experience you know, because you had a bad day, didn't get your parking spot or didn't get laid. You know, teachers yield a, a lot more power than they think and maybe a little too much power than they should have. I think it's a, that's another good point is that you have to, as a teacher, you have to be aware you're now in a position of authority and power and, and use that. I don't even want to say authority or status or power. You are an you are a conduit to getting better, you know? You know what I mean? You're a conduit for someone to get and And if you can't make them better, you also have a right to say, I'm at a loss right now. I think we're supposed to know everything. I'm like, but if I'm 30 years in the trenches 
as a performer and what, maybe 27 years, 28 years as a teacher, that doesn't mean I have all the answers. I'm always figuring out something new. That's why it's exciting to be a teacher. And the day that it's not exciting to be a teacher or you feel you're on a gerbil wheel, take a fucking break. It's shit's still going to be there to say. I think some of our strengths is our admitting when we feel weak. Do you really want the teacher who is right, you know, who is ready for the nervous breakdown or who is overworked? I mean, even when I go on the road, I think sometimes people think I'm an asshole when I said to, I said to Rachel, I said, I want to perform more and teach less if I'm on the road. And so I will say to people, we teach one class and do one show. And these are our rates. And people are like, well, can you teach another class? And I'm like, I'm an old lady. No, <laughs> like it's not a, it's not a horrible thing to say no at this point because you can study with me in a million fucking places in Chicago, take a goddamn week and do an intensive. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not the worst that's going to happen if you don't get, if you get one last class so you can't like kill your improviser teacher. That's, that's another thing too. You know, people work super hard until they fall and I'm going, Why? If people wanted to find you these days, where can they find you? That's a good question. They can find me at IO. Uh, I teach the level two curriculum on Tuesday and Wednesdays. Uh, every Tuesday night, I play with my friend Norm Holly in a show called Molly, and that's a shit fire. And every Thursday night at the Annoyance, uh, I teach, and I also do a show called Messing with a Friend, uh, which is different every week, and I'm in my 11th year. Uh, you can catch my friend Rachel Mason and I as the boys once a week. I mean, once a month, sorry, at the Second City uh, Blackout Theater. And uh, we sometimes perform with real boys like Norm or Ryan. But sometimes we perform on our own. And we also tour around the country and the world. (laughs) 